Welcome to the Betterism Podcast, a learning community seeking out life's unusual lessons from its unlikely places. I'm your host, Glenn Binger, author, teacher, and coach, and I'm here to help spark some collective growth. I hope you'll stick around and teach us a thing or two, but first, a few words from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by DIY Paradise, a one-stop shop to explore and hone your inner creativity. They take the stress out of DIY projects. From paint parties to porch signs, they'll travel to you or you can even visit their studio. They'll even mail you a DIY kit if you request. Don't want to make it yourself? They also do commissions. I'm telling you, if you're a creative, crafty person, you've got to check them out. Visit DIYParadise.org to get started and stay crafty. This episode is brought to you by a brand new podcast called The Discontents, The Disappearance of a Young Radical. It's actually an audiobook by indie author James Wallace Birch. It's a narrative style podcast, and it's an adaptation of his cult classic novel split into podcast episodes. I believe there's eight in total. It's available for free on anchor.fm slash James Wallace Birch or wherever you get your podcasts. The novel itself, of the same name, has a four-star rating on Goodreads. It's the first book in the gripping mystery of the 2011 disappearance of Emery Walden, notorious graffiti artist. Um, it is a highly captivating listen. I recommend you check it out as soon as you can. Enjoy. Alrighty, hi friends. Welcome to the Betterism Podcast. I'm your host, Glenn. I have a super special guest with me today. Probably, and this is might be because I'm biased, but probably my all-time most favorite guest that will ever be on the show. It's my wife, Allison Binger, owner-operator of DIY Paradise. Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Always my pleasure. So I figured I figured we would start off um, talking about your company, DIY Paradise. I know listeners hear the ad all the time. They're wondering, what is this place? What's it all about? I figured let's hear it straight from the mouth of the owner. What's DIY Paradise? What's it all about? What's your mission? What's your goal? DIY Paradise started back in 2017 when I just woke up one morning and decided that being able to be creative should be more accessible and people should have the ability to have an idea or see an idea and reach out to somebody who can help and I think it's really branched off into a lot of different places now with traveling paint parties and traveling events, but it really started off as just um, a place for people to come and try out something that they never would have tried at home on their own. I think that's a beautiful setup and it's crazy. Like I know I have, I have a, you know, first person experience and kind of seeing how the thing has the thing, the business has grown and evolved since you launched it. Um, it's kind of, to me, I feel like there's been a lot of life lessons along the way, which is kind of why I thought I would get you and talk you into being on betterism on the show right now, <laughs> which is awkward trying to interview you right now. Is it weird <laughs> for you right now? It's a little awkward. Because <laughs> we don't normally talk like this. <laughs> but um, so we're this is episode 17 and it's um, there's a couple different reasons why we figured why I figured episode 17 would be dedicated to my beautiful wife. 
Um, first and foremost, we were married in 2017 on the June 17th. 17th. <laughs> so that's like kind of a, that's kind of a, the number one thing. Um, but I feel like the 17 comes back and it, it finds us in the most unusual ways. Do you have any, like any recent memories in your mind that kind of stem from the, our lucky number there? I remember for as long as I've known you catching the clock at seven seventeen, which happens to be today, which is also your birthday. Happy birthday again. Thank you. Um, I just, I think there's a lot of times when we, when we first started dating that we would send text messages back and forth and realize that it was on a 17 of the hour or on a seven of the hour. And it's just always kind of stuck out as like a lucky charm for us. I think it's funny too. Like we'd always, before like hashtags were like a big thing, <laughs> we would always like write back and forth, like hashtag timestamp. <laughs> if, if we happen to catch it. Yeah. And it would like catch you at the most unusual moments. In fact, today when I was starting to pack up one of our rooms in our home, I we're came, moving by the way. I came across um, some of the old cell phones that probably have messages that say hashtag timestamp written <laughs> all over them. Like really old phones that I I'm sure are worth nothing now. But <laughs> we still have them. You got pictures on them. There's that. There is. All right. So. Uh, let's kind of take a step back. The, the reason I wanted to have you on the show is I, I think number one, I mean, obviously you and I are on the same wavelength as far as mindsets and the attitude towards learning go. Um, but ultimately I, I think, uh, you have learned quite a few lessons, whether or not you're able to express them. I mean, even in just conversations that we have normally, you know, without this microphone in our face, um, you've obviously learned a lot of things now that your business is three years old, going strong. Um, and you're also a teacher. So I know that you're able to kind of recognize those teachable moments and the life lessons that kind of stem from them. Um, let's, let's start from the beginning. I mean, you, you opened shop, you opened your doors in 2017. What was like one of the first major things that kind of like kicked you in the gut? like made you realize like this is something I, I learned that I did not know before? Um, I guess how expensive business insurance is was the first one that was a big surprise. <laughs> um, and, you know, the legal fees of setting up a business that like if you want to go about it the right way instead of just, you know, having like a side hustle that is, you know, not listed with the government anyway, which by all means power to you, if you're doing it and you're getting away with it, that's great. But there, you know, there's a part of me that was so fearful of, you know, starting to make money and not being able to claim it appropriately and then, you know, getting slapped with fines or, or taxes later. So I think getting started and from, you know, inception of idea to actually getting the idea set up and, you know, starting a website and figuring out how to advertise and getting on Instagram and Facebook and all of those yeah. things, I think that, you know, you realize very quickly that it really takes a village and you can't do everything by yourself. And I think initially when I came up with this idea, you know, it was kind of like, well, how can I bring every person I know in on this idea? I can have this person do this part. You know, my buddy who knows is really good at math. He can take care of the accounting side. And, you know, whoever is really good about like, you know, being able to show someone else how to, how to, to knit, they can teach that class. And I thought it would be much more of a community project. And then you realize pretty early on that 
it's your idea and everyone else has their own ideas in their own life. And you kind of have to be able to take the bull by the horns and do it all yourself. (laughs) And it's hard and it's scary, but it also gives you the autonomy to like choose how it's going to look and how it's going to go. And luckily I have, you know, we have a lot of really close friends who were able to step in and say like, Hey, I can help you with this part. You know, Oh, you're, you don't know how to do, you know, build a website. Let me, let me sit down with you for a little bit and help you with like how websites should be designed or, you know, just basic, um, obvious tips that like, I'm not very, Oh, I wasn't aware of like, you don't need to write 17 paragraphs to get the idea across. (laughs) You can concise that down to five words and like people are more likely to read it. And I think all of those pieces, coming together. And during, at the time, you know, we were planning our wedding and I was finishing my master's degree and I turned 30. So I was having a life issue, (laughs) but I think like in looking back at it, I, if without the people that did help, um, you know, like Lisa and Steve and Jackie and Elise and everybody who came out out of the woodwork to make sure that this got my mom, my dad, my grandma, like everybody that really pushed me to say, Hey, this is going to be hard, but you know, you got this, you can do it as long as you keep, you know, one step at a time. And that's something I'm not good at still. I think three years later, I still try to jump ahead before I have all my ducks in a row. There's, it's more like squirrels stuck in an attic swim swimming. And I don't know what flood in the attic. It's just, it's <laughs> never, it's never organized, but somehow it always works out. So I think that's a big takeaway too, is you don't have to have every single part of your plan, a hundred percent ready in order to go for it. Cause if you wait too long, I think you're less likely to go for it. You know, you, right. you almost like, uh, like you, you become your own worst enemy. And I feel like, I feel like, again, this is like from an outside perspective, cause I don't really do much with your business. Like I try to help advertise where I can, obviously with the ad on betterism and things like that. Um, but there's obviously many, many, many different moving parts and there's complexities that you don't even realize are there until you experience them firsthand. Right. Like, I mean, the big thing in my mind is like, we just, you know, did our taxes and and our, our accountant was kind of talking about like the, the backside of that stuff. And those, those are things that like, I've only my whole life, I've only experienced filing taxes for my, my personal, right. Like there's nothing major there that is coming out of the, um, you know, the, the, the business side of things. Right. So there, there's obviously like a learning curve that you have to kind of like, um, I guess, adjust or in, instruct yourself on how to kind of reach those kinds of things. So um, let's take a step back. I, again, I, I kind of want to reiterate, there was a lot of things going on in 2017 for us as a family. Right. So we, like we were, of course, we, number one, we got married in 2017. Well, we got engaged late in 2016 and got married less than six months later. Just just over six months later. It was a quick turnaround. So like you were planning, we we were planning the wedding. I I say we, you were planning the wedding. (laughs) You were planning the wedding. You're finishing up your master's master's degree for your, you know, for your teaching job. Writing your thesis. Right. You're writing your thesis. You're trying to organize and set up this business. And like you're, you're being pitched constantly all these different curveballs of like different things that you didn't even realize that go into the business. Right. So like you had the idea, the conception of what DIY paradise is going to be in your mind, but then you have all of these other components kind of being thrown in that you weren't aware that were there. And I mean, what impressed me was how well you were able to manage and maintain all of those different pieces. Um, and how, 
you know, even though sometimes like it would hit you in the side of the face and it would kind of like deflate, you know, deflate you a little bit, you were still able to kind of like find your footing and kind of push through it. And I think the most impressive thing on my end, at least, was the fact that you're you're doing all of these things, all of these major life things on top of starting a business and and feel free to discuss this as you feel comfortable, but you also manage ADHD on top of all of this, right? So like, I, I don't have ADHD and I feel like I would struggle with something like that. How did you manage to kind of work through all of these different curveballs that were like coming at you, blindsiding you out of nowhere on top of you know, the life things like the masters and getting married and like, how, how are you able to kind of work through that? Is there any like strategy or structure or system you use to kind of, you know, take each pitch as it comes? Well, thank you for that compliment of being so impressed by it. But I think the reason it was able to, I think the fact that I was even able to do that stems from having ADHD because the different, uh, stark difference between ADD and ADHD is, you know, where your attention goes. People with ADD tend to focus on one thing, where people with ADHD hyperactivity disorder tend to focus on everything, <laughs> and they can't um, generally like weed out what's going on around them to pick out the most important. So, um, I make a lot of lists, <laughs> to do lists, to do lists. I do that at school, and I, I find them like months later, and I'm like, well, I did some of the things on here and some of them are still part of a to-do list in my, in my brain, I guess. But, you know, when you think ADHD, when you think about the way that your brain works, um, most people have like, you know, like blinds on your window and when stimulus or stimuli come in, you're able to close the blinds once you receive something and just focus on that thing. But people with ADHD, their blinds are always open. So you're constantly taking in new information, even if you don't want to. <laughs> so I think, um, it, it opened a lot of doors for me to find clientele at the beginning of having a business because I didn't say no to anything because everything sounded like a good idea yeah, at right. some point or another, <laughs> you know, whether it was helping someone with what, like their wedding. Cause I had just done ours and, you know, making, signs that say, you know, where to sit or, um, introducing people or, you know, and, and someone else's wedding I did was like, you know, the, the kind of drink they were serving that day or something else special that they wanted to point out, remembering people who passed on before and, you know, saving them a seat at the, at the reception and things like that, you know, or ceremony, excuse me. But, you know, those, those, some of those jobs, I guess we'll call them wouldn't have come up if I was focused only on, paint parties or only on making t-shirts or right. only on making wooden signs. If I was focused on just one, I wouldn't have had a lot of those opportunities. I mean, we, in the beginning I helped someone make a, a paper flower curtain wall and it took a, a, an obscene amount of time, but it came out so beautiful. And I remember like, and looking back on it now, I guess it's like you see those things that you help people make in, in the wild, I call it, you know, like out and where it belongs. And it's, even though it wasn't the intention or what I thought DIY was going to be necessarily like this one specific kind of crap. I, I think my, the idea behind starting this was there's going to be a billion different kinds of crafts and I just don't know what they're going to be yet. And as they came up, it was more and more interesting to see 
what other people came up with and what they needed help with and right. what I got to make with them right. th- and how it came out. Like it was just, it's cool to see it. Well, I think that's the beauty of the, the concept and I guess premise, that might be the wrong word, but the, the, the premise of what DIY paradise is, I mean, it's truly do it yourself. Like if you have any idea in your imagination, you're open to working with a client to make that idea come true. And I think that's the beauty of it, right? Like you, uh, in our town, in, in the, sh- the shore town here in New Jersey, like there's a ton of craft studios and, and shops and things like that, but they seem to only specialize in one certain area, right? right? Like, a like painting, paint, party, paint right? parties, right? Paint and sips are like the big one, right? But I think the thing with DIY Paradise is that you, you're taking it a step further and you're trying to help your clients kind of uh, take their vision in their mind and make it a reality, whether it's a wooden sign, whether it's um, the, the flower curtains. I mean, in, in my mind, I, my mind keeps going back to stories by the sea when you had all of the uh, those paper flowers all over the wall. I mean, listeners, you have no idea how long it took her to make all of those things, <laughs> but they came out absolutely gorgeous. And they were like old manila folders that we used for teaching that were not being used anymore. So it's like you recycled something on top of it, right? So like, that's the kind of thing, like my mind just doesn't work like that. And I think that's why, number one, I, you know, wanted to marry you is because your brain is, (laughs) is so uniquely fascinating in that, uh, in that regard. But at the same time, like, it's also unbelievable how open you are to making, you know, a, a customer's idea come to fruition. Um, and, you know, things are kind of crazy right now in, in the United States. So obviously all small businesses are taking a hit, but like before this whole thing happened, like you were getting messages left and right. Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you make t-shirts for our volleyball team? Um, can you make this, these signs for our wedding? Right. Like, I think I was talking to Steve, uh, in one of our previous episodes about his company, two key customs, him and his wife kind of run that. Mm. Right. And they, they made things for like their wedding. And part of that conversation with Steve, like I was talking about, I was like, oh, my, my wife kind of did the same thing with DIY Paradise, right? Like, so with our wedding, like it, the timing happened to be so perfectly <laughs> aligned, whereas like you were launching your business at the same time as we were getting married and you made all of these, you know, the, the centerpieces for the tables and- Well, Lisa made the centerpieces, but we well, worked, to, we did work right, together, right. but, but my point she, is- It was her. I have was, to give her credit. Way to go, Lisa. <laughs> Well, you had a whole team, like you said. There's a lot of people. There was a lot of people out. helping. Yeah, you know, I don't. I'm not. Trying I think to... in the beginning, though, because of planning our wedding, it it worked out so nicely that it was an opportunity to have some like backlog of pictures to be able to show people what you could do. Because right, like, at what the, the time, potential is. yeah, right. At the time, like I, I saw the potential in my brain, but to be able to show someone else what that was was mm, it seemed like so far away. Like, how am I going to make all these things? And and it's hard to. Sometimes it's hard to like make the the practice or the sample because you're like, okay, well, I'm going to make this thing and I think it's cool. But like, if no one else thinks it's cool, then I just wasted these supplies. And (laughs) that's where a big part of what I've learned, right, where I've learned from you is like, you know, we have to be careful and think things through. And then, you know, the impulsive side of me is like, well, if I would have just done it. I would, I would know by now if somebody was interested in doing it. But at the same time, like I have this other side now, this like, you know, we'll call it the angel side, not the devil side. That's always like, no, you're the angel side. I'm the devil side that just jumps into it. But it's this other part that's like, well, 
what if you paint that design on that wine glass and no one likes it? Then like that wine glass is garbage and all that paint. Like, ah, maybe I shouldn't. And then there's other times that I'm like, don't think like him. Just <laughs> screw it. Just do it. Just do it. It's got to, <laughs> I have to see what it looks like in order to know if it's worth it. You know? Oh, it's like when, when COVID hit and you started making the masks, like the, the prototypes, you did a couple different prototypes of like how it would fit on someone's face. I remember you like Oof. measuring measuring me and my face, like trying to get stuff down. I'm like, well, I thought whatever. I was making them big enough for adults <laughs> and they were kid size. I'm like, I'm a small human. I'm not like, like I don't, yeah, my face wasn't the best one to use as a sample. There was too many people that called afterwards. They're like, this is kind of small, but it's, I mean, like now you have it down to a science, like we're in the middle of a move right now. Right. And like, you still have, you still have, you have it down to such a procedure where like, even though we're in the middle of like cardboard city, Tetris, boxes everywhere like box them you're you're still able to like whip out the sewing machine and like someone requested a mask you can like put it together and then like, yeah this the past week back. that was pretty cool i had somebody reach out thanks joe federico for that a good friend of joe's reached out and needed um a, a special mask she was concerned about you know finding one that would fit right and being in a place she's in florida w- that right now what's going on in this country is in Florida is even scarier than anywhere else there, you know, their cases are super high and she doesn't want to leave the house ever. But if she does have to go, she wants to make sure she's protected. So I, you know, made hers designed it a little differently. So it covered more of her face than some of the other masks I made. And just to make sure that she felt comfortable to leave the house. And it's a good feeling to be able to take something that you're already good at and then make someone else feel comfortable because you could make something for them. Right. Use it for the good. Well, that's it. The amount of masks you've been making without charging people, I think is a beautiful thing. It's beautiful, but it's expensive. It it is. (laughs) You know, that's, and I think that's what I think about when I think of all the people that we helped, you know, in doing stuff for their wedding or anything really their class. I had, I helped a lot of people with classroom stuff. Yeah. And it's always like, well, if it was me, I would want them to, I would want someone to give me a break. So my answer is always, well, like, if you have the supplies, you can bring them and I'll just help you. And then, you know, I don't want to take anyone's money. So I think that's, I, I need, I need someone to be, I need the devil on my shoulder to try to jump <laughs> off every once in a while and say like, it's not bad to take, you know, to charge someone for your time. But right. that's something I'm, I'm, I'm well, three just, years in still struggling that's with. That's you as a human. I mean, you as a human are like, you're one of the most generous people that, that I have ever met. And I think that comes through in your work with DIY and as a teacher. I definitely see that. Like, I mean, that sometimes when you're like planning lesson plans for like summer programs where most teachers are checked out by like noon and you're still working at like five, six <laughs> o'clock at night, I'm like, geez, give it up. Like, take a break. It's okay. Come back to it the next day. Right. But that's just who you are. It's like you are such a generous person where like you just, you just want to help people. And I think that that definitely comes through in your, your work with DIY. I mean, the masks are only one example, but you've definitely helped people out in other regards prior to COVID even being a thing in the United States. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, but I think that's a, let's, let's, let's kind of tie in the, the teacher side of it a little bit, because I think that's where the idea kind of stemmed from. I think, um, you know, cause part of DIY, you don't really advertise this that much, but part of it is like, uh, like craft classes. So like, not just, you know, come and we'll, we'll make a project together. It's also like, it's like another take on paint and sips rather than like, you know, doing a canvas painting in a bar somewhere, you know, you're setting up these, like these craft parties where you're, you're 
teaching in another venue that's outside of, you know, public school curriculum, right? So like, how did those two things in your mind tie together? How did one stem from the other? I mean, what, what kind of like life lessons kind of came from one and led to the other? I think teaching, if you're a teacher, you're a teacher in all aspects and it's not something you can really put away. You can't, That's you true. can't turn it off. You can't, so I'm a waitress too. And I, I, I catch myself doing teachery things as a waitress. I mean, you can't, <laughs> you can't turn off that side of you if you have it. And once you know, you know, understand pedagogy and you understand how people learn um, and how really how people kind of take in information, how people think and how personalities can weigh into how people think it's really interesting to apply that to other areas. So, you know, teaching in a school and at the time I was only part-time. Mm-hmm. So, um, I had a little, a little bit more time. I was also working for our, our realtor friend and still waitressing at the time. So I didn't have that much time, but I had extra time for my full-time life prior to start, um, kind of expanding on this idea of, you know, and again, it comes back to like wanting it to be more of a village. You know, I had this, I still, when once we're allowed to, you know, once I'm again, considered, essential because currently i'm yeah, not can't have people can't have anybody over but um you know we did that we did a community community crafter series where someone else was good at something and they came and showed it to a class of people and it was you know not all people that they knew it was strangers who saw the you know saw this idea i'm thinking in particular when sarah came and helped um with the scarves with the scarves she taught yeah. arm knitting and people loved it because you know, you could, sure, you could sit down and try to watch a YouTube video, but if you're like me, extroverted and, or or omniverted, and you need that interaction with another person to really solidify what you're learning, that community opportunity or that community experience really adds to the ability, your ability to learn something new. And I think being in an environment where everyone's struggling at the same time to learn this thing where your arms are trapped and, you know, what do I do if I have to go to the bathroom and I'm halfway through it, you know, (laughs) uh, you know, my, my set here, I'm just trying to get to the other side. You know, I think it's interesting that, um, you know, we all have something that we're good at everyone, whether you realize it's something unique or not, I think there's something that everyone can do that someone else next to them probably can't do. And I think that needs to be celebrated and people need to learn from that more. I could not have said that better. The, 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 the our diversity is what makes us strong. So yeah, rather and, than, you know, trying to, trying to isolate that diversity and we should be using it for the greater good. Yeah. My, um, a good friend, you know, from some of those crafting events from this past year that I was going out of the studio for, um, my good friend, Jeannie, you know, she kind of gave me that, that lesson when COVID kind of first started was we're not going to get through this by all of us individually trying to, survive. We're going to get through this when we team up and work together and and do what works best for us. You know, her mom is fantastic. She's over there at Styled Strong, uh, Styled Strong Fitness Wear in Manasquan. Um, she's done a bunch of parties with me. We've done mat, um, welcome mats, custom welcome mats. We've done um, obviously wooden signs. We did awesome Halloween wreaths. Um, we And her mom was just so welcoming. And I see, you know, even watching that interaction, her mom having her own store, Colleen, um, and then Jeannie being her daughter, she's extremely generous and so wonderful. 
and learn so much from her mom. And it, it, you know, it comes and that's just one niche place that like, this is kind of happening and you're watching it and you see that everywhere, but like, it's really cool to see it from, you know, from generation to generation or from friend to friend or, and I think, you know, it carries over, you know, she met me at one of the craft parties at her mom's, um, back of her mom's store we were doing and we just became like instant best friends because of, you know, having this, both of us having this interest in creating cool stuff. And, you know, she kind of took the pieces that I had there for people to use to make these mats and made something that no one else thought of. And, you know, that's something I think, you know, you go in with an idea and as a teacher, I do this all the time. I'm not going to plan to the, to the, you know, very individual second, even though they say you should over plan and plan every minute of the day. You, you can only exhaust yourself in, in the planning for so far before right. you realize you need to be flexible and be able to kind of fly by the seat of your pants more often than you can follow a plan. Because as far in my lifetime, all 33 years of it, the plan doesn't usually work out the way that the plan set out. <laughs> so if you're not able to kind of, I, I don't know, I can't think of a better phrase right now, fly by the seat of your pants and make it work. You got to have a, that flexibility has, has to be there. Right. There has to be a sense of adaptability and you got to be willing to embrace that. Right. I mean, fact of the matter, not everyone learns the same. Not everyone does things the same. You can meet, you can meet the same end goal through a different process. Right. Absolutely. And I think being able to have an open mind. And again, this is where I think, you know, this is why I think DIY paradise is so unique and so successful is because you have that open minded attitude where, you know, you might have one idea in mind, you might have these supplies, but then you're also willing to work with other creators to kind of see what other options there are. Right there might be a better process. There might be a better way to get to the end result. The end result might even be different than what you were originally planning. And being able to adapt to that along the way is what makes anyone successful, let alone DIY paradise. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's, that's something that people who are trying to grow and expand and better themselves, the sooner they're able to kind of pick up on that, you know, Carol Dweck growth mindset. And the sooner they're able to not only understand it, but then like apply it to themselves and their lives. Like that's where they find the success in whatever venture they're reaching out to. Right. Um, and again, like this is, I know it sounds very teachery because we are both teachers, but like, the, I mean, the it. fact that you can't help it. Right. You can't, that, like you said, you can't turn that off. But the fact of the matter is, I think, you know, the reason where the country is experiencing the problems we're experiencing is because people don't realize they have that potential in them, right? But, you know, I think more and more people are waking up to that potential and they're seeing, they're seeing their ability to grow and adapt and open their minds to accepting the things they can change and cannot change. Um, but, you know, taking that in a creative outlet is what gets your work noticed. Um, and I say you talking about DIY Paradise, but really that goes... I think for anyone. That goes for anyone, right? Like the the sooner you're able to kind of recognize that and kind of bounce ideas off of your network and your community. I mean, it's the same thing in the writing community, right? Like I have a certain writing style, but bouncing ideas off of somebody else who has an entire, entirely different writing style or writing method 
is what helps me grow as a writer. Right. And that, that doesn't mean that I'm going to go and immediately try to replicate and copy them. Right. But I might take, you know, pieces of their system that I can adapt and use in my system and it betters me. And hopefully the reciprocal, they do the same, right? Like they take something that I'm doing and helps them. Right. That goes for all creatives. I think, you know, and I'm just using writing as an example because that's something that I feel like I think I'm though, good at, but in the same light though, you know, look at, you know, all the painting, you know, with, you know, and creative things like that, that that's been going on since we haven't been able to leave the house. Yeah. You know, my quarantinis, I call them my little mini paintings. The canvases, they're everywhere. But, you know, and my, my wonderfully generous uncle who sent me all the supplies to open my mind to attempting um, a different kind of art, you know, I, I don't think I, up until I really started DIY, did I consider myself an artist? And I still struggle with that term artists because I heard one time that you can't call yourself a painter or an artist until you've painted, I don't know, like 400 paintings or something. And at this point, I don't think I'm even close, but I think from, you know, the blessing of the internet and Instagram and Pinterest and being able to see other people's ideas and sometimes see their process, it really helps to expand my willingness to try something new or attempt a a type of art that I probably would have looked at before and said, there's no way I can do that. You know, your mom's amazing drawing business, Young Rembrandt's Jersey Shore over here, you know, teaching for her was another eye-opening experience in that same way. You know, I didn't, I would have never put myself in the category of someone who could draw before teaching for your mom. But in that experience, you learn that, you know, Oh, I can't, I can't even draw a stick figure. I love when people say that. I can't even draw a stick figure. Have you ever tried? Like that's my first question is always like, really? You can't even draw. Have you ever tried to draw anything beyond that? Because if you try. Play some hangman. You'll be fine. If you try just a little, I bet you'd be surprised by what you can do. You know, draw what you see or, you know, all those little tips that like, you know, a lot of times when I, when I do, you know, I've had a couple paint parties in the last year that were like the actual canvas kind, you know, like paint and sip and people see the picture on the, on the easel and they say, Oh no, I'm not going to be able to do that. And I'm like, can we try it before we say we can't, maybe we should, let's just sit down and (laughs) pick up the brush and like see see what happens, you know? And if it doesn't come out exactly like this, does that mean it's somehow less beautiful or, or or less amazing to look at? No, of course not. You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And I think that needs to, be recognized. And sometimes, you know, I have a a client who will say, Oh, I hate it. And your mom taught me a great, um, little lesson on how to handle, how to handle that because a lot of times, and we do this, both of us as creatives, you have to walk away. Sometimes you have to take a step back, take a break. And a lot of times when I say to somebody, listen, close your eyes, relax for just a second, close your eyes, take a deep breath. I'm going to hold this a little further away and I want you to open your eyes when I tell you. And often when I, when they open their eyes, they're like, wow, I did that. Yeah. (laughs) But when it's, when you're sitting on top of it and you've been staring at it and you're still holding the brush and you want to fix something, it's just like, you know, as an artist, always usually your worst, worst nightmare to say, I'm just going to fix this one thing. And then, you know, you end up into like eight different things. You know, you make a mess after that. But I always think of, uh, you know, our friend Adrian, our tattoo artist, like I think, she has a good way of putting it. There's the creative process. Like, number one, this is pretty cool. Number two, okay, this is turning out okay. 
Number three, oh my god, this sucks. This is the worst. I I hate it. it. (laughs) And then number four, okay, this is okay again. Number five. I this, hate it. <laughs> this is this is terrible. This is number not six, what I set out to do. Number six, I love it. It's awesome. And then number seven, repeat. Right? Yeah. So it's like all it's like a process. It's a learning process. And I think you know you kind of touched base on this. I just want to reiterate. I, I think um, the learning process is a two way street. You know, I try to make this clear on on betterism on the on our on our blog on Medium, um, but by teaching something, you learn it. You learn different ways. You learn how other people learn it. Right. And on the flip side, when you are being taught something by a teacher, like you're learning, but you're also subconsciously picking up on how to then turn around and teach it. Right. So I always say like, if you want to learn something, you really want to learn a skill creative or not. The best way to do that is to do your homework and then turn around and try to teach it to somebody else. Right. The younger, the better. If you can teach it, I think it was Einstein. It's like, if you can teach it to a five-year-old and he understands it, she understands then it, you, then, then you really then know you, it. Then you know it. Right. And I think that's, um, I think that's an underestimated little self-check in that process. Right. Like if I'm able to turn around and like teach somebody how to use contractions the right way in a, in a word or right. use commas, right. Commas are, oh my God, the, the death of the comma right now in American society. But like, if you're able to turn around and like teach somebody how to use it, a comma in a proper way, like that means you understand it. Absolutely. Right. And you always learn, like I find when I'm teaching my students in class, I might try to teach something in a certain way. And this one student is like having so much trouble with the way that I'm teaching it, that I have to adapt how I'm teaching it. And in that process, in that change, that, that style of, of me trying to provide that instruction, um, I not only am I learning a different way to teach the topic, but I'm also learning a different way on how someone learns about that topic. Absolutely. I think, you know, I, you know, being a teacher and going through my master's program and all of the things that, you know, we've kind of done as educators, but as people, um, you know, you learn more about and the more you can learn about how you learn. I think it opens you up to being able to learn more. You know, I know I'm a hands-on. Yeah. Um, visual learner. I, if, if I can't see it and I can't do it, I tend to struggle well, so that, much that's more. That's why I think you gravitate towards crafting so much is because like you want, you have this vision in your mind and you want to like get it done. You want to make it somehow, but like you can't abstractly, I say you can't cause that, that sounds I don't want to, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling to that. I even said can't before. It's not that I can't learn other ways, but I, it's not, I don't think it's as impactful to me if I'm just listening to someone tell me how to do something like, okay, yeah, I'm listening to you, but can you show me while you do that? You know, don't just, don't just talk at me, involve me, you right. know, and that's something that as educators, if you're, if you're, if you've been doing this for long enough, like we've been teaching now for almost 10 years, right? Jeez, man, I feel old. Yeah. 10 I've, years. I've, you know, I started teaching at Hawks when I was 22. So yeah, 10 years, that's, I'm 33. Yeah. Holy moly. <laughs> 10 years. You know, you kind of, that's the, the point of teaching is not to teach at someone, but to involve them. And if you can't, you know, kind of find a way to involve someone, you might as well stop talking. You know, right. I just think that's such an important piece. You know, I say to, you know, when we were doing virtual teaching and sitting in this small living room together this past few months, it was the absolute picture of 
I can lead a horse to water, but man, I cannot force that horse to drink it. <laughs> I can set up the coolest activities in the world, but without the engagement of my students, it's useless. It really is. They have to want it. And, you know, it's a two way street. It's it a really two way street. Like you have to want to learn. If you don't have that desire to do that, you're not going to, right? And you have to like recognize that yourself. And I think this, I try to, you know, I teach middle school, so it's tough with the age, but I try with my students to help them understand their own learning styles as early as possible. Because the sooner you're able to, to understand and learn how, how you learn, the more you're able to adjust and incorporate that method in what it is, the content you're learning, right? Like I'm, I, I I'm, do that with my, even with my first graders, yeah, you know, I'll ask. I think the sooner you do that in life, the sooner a person recognizes that, the better off they're going to be. I often, in the beginning of the school year, will do kind of like an experiment with the kids, you know, where I say, okay, we're going to learn something. And like, let's say it's like a directed drawing, right? And the first time I just talk and have them try to mimic what I'm explaining. And the next time I show them, but I don't speak at all. And then the next time I just put the drawing up and let them try it. And, you know, and, and you, you see which ones sink and which ones, Mm -hmm. you know, absolutely can flourish from it. Well, that's, you know, it, it's so funny, especially with everything, like, you know, I don't want to get into the the politics and stuff, but you see all these people on social media and stuff pushing like, well, you know, they got to send the kids back you know, which to an extent I, I understand because you can't like, like you were talking about before, there's a, there's a difference between learning from a YouTube video and learning with around people, another person with a group of people. There's certainly people who in this time of being stuck at home are doing better than ever. Yeah. I've heard some parents say to me, my, my child is performing better now than ever before because there's no distractions, but then you have kids that are the opposite, opposite opposite end of that, that need and like just cannot feel whole without having people around them and interactions with their peers, with their teachers who, you know, have been there for them and supported them. You know, I think, you know, I agree. I, uh, you know, and again, not to get too political about it, but, you know, I agree with that notion of we need to, you know, get kids back in school, but we also need to remember that it's not up to teachers to, be the guinea pigs to see if everyone's going to live through this thing. Yeah. Right. You know, that's, I, that's I think, a cesspool as it is going to school is already, you know, you're surrounded by lots of people that are bringing lots of different things into a place. I think safety needs to take priority there. And again, like going back to what we were saying before with that community aspect, you know, that's part of the beauty of, of schools that kids come with all different backgrounds and they come to this place and they, they all, you know, have, different experiences and different lives. And then they, you, you know, when you're teaching something new, they, you know, the conversations you have are, are, are genuine and much more um, expansive than they are when they're at home and they, you know, they're a little more sheltered because their parents are home and they're, they're acting, oh, yeah, you know, for sure. you know, a little bit different because, you know, they're, they're being the way they are at home as opposed to this kind of persona they've developed from being at school. Well, you know, the other common misconception is that school is all about driving content and test scores. And I, you know, I, I recognize that not everyone thinks that way, but there's a majority of Americans out there who kind of think that that's all school is. And it's, it's way deeper than that. Right. I mean, you know, as well as I do, like yeah. there's, there's a whole social emotional growth that comes with being in school that isn't really taught, but it's, it's, there's guidance for it there within the school system. And that's something that you are unable to replicate at home learning from a laptop. Right. 
Now, again, like I, I, there's obviously safety is an issue there and you know, it's, that's going to vary from state to state. Um, and, and district to district at this point, of course, district to district. Um, and you know, there's definitely, there's definitely some room for some actual leadership, <laughs> but again, we're not going to go political with right, it, right, but, right. but I think there is, there's something to be said there about the learning process that transfers from childhood to adulthood, right? Like there's, yeah. there's things you can do to take away, to take with you into adulthood that sets yourself up for success, right? If you're one of those people that kind of sit there and think that like learning is done when you're done with school, I mean, you're only setting yourself up to not want to to, never learn, to never learn and to never get better at anything. Yeah, I agree. I think it's so fascinating when, you know, in this thing, in this quarantine situation that we were in and not that we're still in quarantine, although it's sort of, it's sort of, and maybe, maybe we should consider keeping it going, but again, not to get political, but you know, a lot of people learned new things because they had nothing else to do. Yeah. You know, they, they took on, you know, like Steve, our, our good friend, Steve picked up using a telescope and like learned every aspect of the telescope itself and where the stars are in the sky and, and how to find that information out and how to, you know, type in the coordinates and find the whatever moons and when you have, when you're interested in something and you have the time to develop that interest, I think you're, you know, more likely to, pursue uh, it. to pursue it. And I think, you know, in thinking about school for some kids, the time that we force them to do, you know, not force them, you're not like holding them down, but you know, the right. time that you're, you're spending working on those very, um, academic, you know, drill type lessons, kids get, I think, unmotivated to, to understand that learning sure. is beyond this little piece and in this quarantine time, you know, with any luck, American parents took this opportunity to say, hey, listen, yeah, you have to do these couple assignments for school. And I know there were definitely some parents who said, you don't have to because it's not going to count anyway. I hope that kids found the time to do something, you know, to use that time to do something more productive than just playing video games or staring at the wall or, you know, learn, learn something, learn about something they're actually, they're actually interested interested in. in. Cause I mean, I, I know in your, even in sixth grade, you know, those kids have cell phones when they're 12. So the way that cell phones work now, you have the world in your hand, you know, you, if there's something you want to know, you ask, you know, 1-800-Google it, you know, (laughs) and, and that's a, you know, information is so abundant now. It's like, if you're, if you're ignorant about something, and you're not trying to learn about it, that's a choice at this point. It's absolutely a choice. Right. You know, when you can just literally ask your phone to tell you the, you know, at least guide you to an answer. And that's a whole nother, I mean, there's a whole nother skill set. It's not as simple as it sounds because there, there is a skill set there of evaluating credibility of news outlets. And I think that's, that's a struggle that the American people are going through right now with some of the bogus stuff being thrown in their face. Like you have what we thought was authentic news outlets sharing, you know, quote unquote, fake news. And then on the flip side, you have what was once considered a fake news outlet uh, sharing things that are authentic and true. And And you have people who have never practiced the skill of critical thinking beyond their, you know, high school or college education are now struggling to deal with this skill of critical thinking. And well, I think a a big part of that and, and people in our generation specifically, and, and obviously before, before our generation itself, um, I think when we were in school and, 
before us when our parents were in school and the generations before them, it was much more drill, recite, repeat. Yeah. And, you know, rote learning as opposed to questioning and, you know, primary documents and things that you should, well, if you don't believe that, then let's, let's keep digging until we see if we can get to the bottom of it. You know, like Adam ruins everything, right? Like, you know, people weren't, the education system here, and again, not to get too political, but the education system wasn't really set up for people to think and learn further for themselves. They just thought it was like a task that they had to do in order to get to the next big thing. It's like, well, what's the next big thing? What does that matter if you don't, if you don't know how to learn, you know? And that, that attitude towards education is kind of a plague on what we're experiencing right now. Like it's, it's causing such cognitive dissonance that people don't even know how to deal with it. Yeah. They don't know how to cope with what it is they're experiencing. Um, and I think again, you know, I'm not trying to make anyone feel a certain way, right? Like you're certain people are listeners. You're certainly entitled to your beliefs and your opinions. And you should keep them. And you should keep them until you have time to research those beliefs and opinions to make sure that you still believe in them and that they still feel factual. Understand it's also, it is totally okay to not know the answer and it's okay to admit to that and to God, what a beautiful thing when people, when you see something. I love it when people say, I don't, I don't know, but you know what? I'm going to read up on that. I mean, that to me, that, that mindset of being open-minded to saying, Hey, maybe what I thought was wrong and I'm going to change my mind. And maybe I shouldn't share my opinion on it because it is just that an opinion. And I don't actually know the fact. Right. Right. I I saw it on a meme. Like that's not. Well, right. And sometimes it's not even just, I saw it on a meme. It's just like a blank, um, you know, just assumption of what you thought you knew and understood. And then, you know, when, Ultimately, like it drives me crazy when people are just so unwilling to when it's something as simple as asking Google the question that you're not sure of. And there's a hundred ways of answering it. But the first 20 are all saying the same thing. But you still hardcore believe in the other parts, (laughs) you know, like whatever you had in your mind before you Googled it. And then walking away from that Google experience, we'll call it, and still saying like, but no, what I thought before was still true. Really? How can you, at, at that point, that's just like arrogance, right, right. ignorance. You I don't have know. To, there's, there's a, a level of ego that you have to be willing to let go of, right? Like you have to, there's, there's, there's a piece of you that you have to let go and say, this isn't about me. It's about trying to better myself and try to grow. Right. It, and it's very difficult to set your ego aside. Um, I, by no means am a master of that, but I do, I do know from my meditation practice that it is possible. It is definitely possible to reach that level. Right. But again, like I'm, I'm still growing there. I'm definitely not an expert, but someone that is so rigid to the point where they disagree with science for the sake of disagreeing disagreeing, is someone that does not have control over their ego they haven't even attempted to gain control over their ego and it's um, again i'm not saying that's easy because that makes it sound like it's just oh you can just flick it off with a switch like no it's not that simple but you have to you have to be willing to try to practice to turn off that ego for a second and say okay maybe i was wrong about this maybe that person does deserve an apology um you know i shouldn't have gotten so upset over some meaningless covid statistic that didn't really affect me directly right like and again that's just one example but 
to tie it all back together, I, I think that's what makes your business with DIY so successful is because you're authentic about that. You are upfront with the learning process. I don't know how to make this thing, but I know that, you know, you have this idea for this, I don't know, this project you want to work on. Right. Let's, let's see how learn, we can make it. Let's learn about it together. How yeah. can we make it together? That's right? one of my favorite parts, you know, is that sometimes people come to me with an idea that I'm like, wow, that's awesome. No, I never made that before, but let's figure it out. Let's do it. You know, and we, you know, work together on some research and that sometimes that research is as silly as, you know, YouTubing it, you know, or just checking right. Pinterest for someone else's process and then adapting it with whatever materials or supplies that I happen to already possess, you know, and that's, I don't know, that, that process is really something that if I didn't have DIY, I don't know that I would be able to experience as often as I do. Yeah, I'd agree with that. About the learning process, folks. All right. Well, I think that is a good time to transition to our rapid fire questions. Rapid fire questions. Let's. Are do you it. familiar with these? I mean, luckily for me, I live in this house. So That's nine hundred square feet. <laughs> you hear so all the interviews. <laughs> I could hear your end of the interviews. I don't hear the other person until you publish it. So um, I'm <laughs> sort of familiar with the questions, but go ahead anyway. Okay. Uh, so first of all, don't feel like they, you don't need to be profound with these. Um, they can be certainly laid back if you want. Okay. Like there's no, I feel like I ask these questions and sometimes people think that they need to have this like profound answer that's going to like be recorded down throughout history. And I'm like, no, it's, it's okay. Like this, this whole, the whole point of betterism is to Evolve. understand that like we're all going through an evolutional evolutionary process and learning can be messy and it doesn't have to be as formal as you know sitting down in a classroom and listening to somebody talk right like learning like we've talked about this entire episode learning is a team process and it's a two-way street um and i think just something as simple as listening to a podcast with somebody you know talking about what their favorite food is can help somebody else understand like something stupid about a recipe right like i don't mean for it to sound condescending but at the same time, I don't want it to sound arrogant and like profound. Like it's, it's I understand that. I it's think there's relaxed. It's right, laid back. But, like, but there's it's a line, and like there's a point where like you have like you know of course where professionalism is required. Yeah. You know, in in the collegiate level, of course, and you know beyond. Sure. In in public school, when you have to you know provide a certain kind of thing, sure. But I think. I, I really appreciate that, that sentiment that like you absolutely can learn from like what you say at the beginning of your podcast from unusual places. Sometimes it's some, you know, you watch someone do something when you're at their house while they're cooking and you're like, wow, oh, that's how you do that. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, that saves so much time. That was such a better way to do that. I had no, I had, didn't know that's how you did that. But you have to have, you have to have the right mindset in order to see things that way. And I think that's really what I'm trying to do with betterism is trying to help people understand that they, they have a potential inside of them that can grow and evolve with them as best it can. Um, as long as they have that open-minded attitude. I agree. So. All right. Let's do the question. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. I got, got a little off track. Why do you always do that to me? I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. It's cause I'm off track all the time. There's no tracks. Is ADHD contagious? It could be. Do I have ADHD? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm just, I, I think the symptom, the side effects or <laughs> symptoms of it certainly like rub off on people. I think I, I, 
I think I extend that. I, I offer that to people when I'm around them because I bounce I from idea to idea. So I think it's easy when you're trying to hold a conversation with me that <laughs> you would all in turn have to bounce. I definitely catch idea. myself. Like, you know, how, like sometimes you'll catch yourself being like your parent. And like, sometimes that's pretty obvious. Like, oh shit, this is exactly what my dad would do. But there's definitely times where like I'll catch myself. You might might not even be around, but I'll be doing like six different things as one as um, at one time, and like four cabinets will be open. I'm like, shit, I'm, I'm, this is Allison right now. I'm, I'm being my wife. <laughs> but I think we all do things, whether it's like because someone else does them or not. Like there, there, everyone has moments where like they have difficulty focusing and they focus on everything instead of one thing. And I think, you know, we all do that. Like. It just because like you noticed yeah, that right. was something that I do. You're like, oh, I'm I'm picking up on it because you like you probably did it before you even knew me. Probably, you know, without realizing that you could put a name to it and start blaming it on me. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, idiosyncrasies are okay. People have habits. That's fine as long as it's not negatively affecting other people. It's fine. I agree. Okay, on to the questions. Okay, first one: What are you currently reading? Are you enjoying it? Would you recommend it? Um, and reading can be taken lightly here. Don't It doesn't have to be like a book. It could be something you're listening to or a documentary you're watching or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm reading um, the this book, Teacher Misery, that I found through Instagram. And it's just like funny um, but ridiculous stories, but true ones of things that have happened in other people's classrooms. And <laughs> in this last couple of years and coming back to teaching – um, this past year, I think it was like, oh, I saw this book and it's about the crazy things that happen. It kind of like puts you at ease, like, oh, that's so much more ridiculous than what happens to me in a day. <laughs> right. Like, why am I complaining? Why am I complaining? That's, you know, I didn't have a kid send me a dirty email. That's not so bad. You know, I I, I, I don't know. I think um, I would recommend it. I guess it's okay if you're a teacher and you can relate it to your own life. If you're not a teacher, um, you probably would be less likely to believe that it's that these things could Aren't happen. <laughs> yeah, I think when I'm when I read through some of the things that are in there, I'm like, no way. But at the same time, you're like, yes, that could absolutely happen because parents are cr- sorry, parents, but you're all crazy, and we're not parents yet, so I guess that's why I'm able to say that. But you know, we'll be crazy one day. We'll be crazy one day, I guess. But you know, we've been talking about this a lot with the COVID thing too. You know. It, it's if how come this part is okay but that part's not right like in florida the gyms are allowed to be open but and they're allowed to have the water fountain on and you have to wear a mask when you walk around but when you're like spitting and trying so hard to pump your weights up and down while you're doing a squat you're allowed to not wear a mask and spit all over everybody like how does that <laughs> how do those two things work out like i just it doesn't make any sense but like parents do things like that all the time you know like oh well i'm not okay with that but this crazy other ridiculous thing that's totally fine you know that's i don't know i just think that's i will say just playing devil's advocate too i feel like there i i hope i'm not one of these teachers but teachers do that too like i i definitely work with people who are like you know Susie did this one thing and she loves Susie and she's gonna okay this is totally fine but then johnny turns around right. and does it that's and like, that consistency piece right, that right, classroom like, management piece that drives me crazy right, as a special like, educator when you walk into a gen ed room yeah <laughs> no, right. no no exactly I, I totally agree with that so so the, just so in case anyone's interested that teacher misery book is written by jane morris and it's there's a couple she wrote a couple of them but they're um is that the, the first one I think this might be the second one. Second one. Helicopter parents, social snowflakes, and other bullshit. And I think that <laughs> just that like little like uh, subtitle cracked me up. Like special snowflakes. Like you really do come across some kids, stories, families, situations that people just would not believe. Well, that, to me, like that's one of those books. It's like 
yeah, you can appreciate it if you're not a teacher, but like you would, like you said, like you would totally be like, you know, no way, this isn't. And in all that's going on right now with this in this crazy <laughs> world, maybe people who aren't teachers do need to read this. I don't know, like maybe yeah, that would help. The reality Just like, of, like get a grip on what's going on in schools and like, like sometimes like a, you go to share a story that happened in school with other teachers, and maybe there's one or two like you know spouses or significant others in that group who like don't laugh because they don't understand like. They're like, no way that happened, right? Right. But like all the other teachers are like, oh my God, I totally get that. Like I can I can see, see that a hundred percent. I can see that happening. Like, great. Yeah, it was. And I don't want to tout like, you know, teachers are these, you know, uh, one of a kinds. Like I know that that kind of stuff happens across all industries, but it's just like so- sometimes like- it, it comes across in a different way working from with- this, from this side. Like when you work in, um, in a financial situation or, you know, Wall Street or something, you're not dealing with parents and, 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 the, and their kids. Right. Like, There's a big difference I between don't know. working with adults and working with I kids. I feel like maybe, like, dog trainers have the closest relationship <laughs> to teachers. Is that weird? I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't compare students to dogs. Probably not. I will say training a dog, though, I like being a teacher and being able to train an animal, I there are definitely tools that I pull out and like use yeah but i think that's what you were saying before it's that (laughs) consistency thing like you know and sometimes we don't realize we do it you know like um the dog's barking i want him to shut up so i'm gonna give him some food no you just reinforce the barking like why would you do that but like when you know when (laughs) the same thing like when you see kids like throwing themselves on the floor in the in the food store and the parent like buys them a lollipop like hello right good job you know but reinforce that because that's but like sometimes you know in the moment like you're again it goes back to that ego that pride thing like oh i'm I'm embarrassed because this is happening and i'm just going to do whatever i can to real quick cover it up and like that's not i don't know i think that's not really productive the sooner you accept that like we're all humans and we all make mistakes and we there's a sense of like mutual okay i understand what this like empathy right like i understand what this person is going through and i understand what they must be like like wow if that was happening to me how would i feel like if you could take a second and think that you know that probably would help the process in its entirety but i remember like working with with kids with um significantly special needs and taking them into the community and like a student like screaming and throwing themselves on the floor in the middle of a food store and and people looking at me and me just standing there and waiting for the kid to you know pull himself together and stand <laughs> up because like uh what am i what do, what do i care uh, why am i going to be embarrassed that the, that the child's having an experience that first of all is they're unable to express yep and why am i going to alter my behavior or suddenly well that's what try to like a lot of offer times, the child something in this moment when they can't even hear me a lot of the times that's all they want they just want the attention for the behavior they're pushing out and right. it's like well no i'm not going to give that to you because then it's just going to reinforce this behavior right exactly it's complicated and we're not parents so you know i don't want to sound like we're um experts on the matter but i will say just being teachers like you do pick up on things and you're like wow okay i'm not a parent but like that's something i definitely wouldn't do right <laughs> or or on the flip side i'm not a parent but this person is doing a really excellent job yeah i love parent teacher conferences when i get one of those kinds of parents and it's like Wow, this person That's is awesome. like not a teacher, but they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, good job. I had a couple of those during quarantine. That was the, like you walked away from it like yes, yes. There is still hope for parents <laughs> in this country. Thank God. All right, question All right. two. Uh, I know my answer to this question, but what's your favorite meal to prepare and cook, either for friends, for family, or for yourself? I know you work at a restaurant too, so like there's a lot of options here. Marcello's, uh, he's trying to get you on the, <laughs> yeah. on the back in the kitchen. You're like, no way. Well, that's because I just love being around people, but it's okay. Um, I really just 
I like taking leftovers and turning it into something else, like chopped, playing chops with, with everything in the refrigerator and coming up with something, you know, I don't know that would it, wouldn't be expected from the ingredients we have, I guess. But I, I don't know. What, what's why? What's your favorite thing that I cook? Do you really I don't have... know. It's like anything with jalapenos in it. And well, that's because you're just obsessed with jalapenos right now. <laughs> the bean salad you just made was really good. Oh, yeah. So I guess I'll tell you how I did that. The bean salad was just like four cans of beans, one chickpeas, one red kidney, one cannellini, and one black bean mm-hmm. can. And then I chopped up um, orange peppers and... Uh, two jalapeno peppers should have done three because it would have been extra spicy um but i could tell from the consistency of the jalapeno peppers that it was going to be spicy so i made a dressing with honey lime and olive oil and just like uh, whisked it together and put it on top of the um of the bean salad to the honey and the jalapeno would mash up so well together yeah but it also kind of takes that edge off so when you take a bite you don't like you know, lose your breath because it's so spicy. <laughs> Clear your sinuses out. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Question three. What is one life lesson you'd like to pass on to our listeners today? It can come from our conversation or it can be totally random. Like if you have something else in mind, you just like want the world to hear. Um, I, I think we're going to go back to what I was saying before. Like don't overthink it, you know, just go with the flow, go with the flow. Like, when you have an idea, if, if you really, if it comes to you and it seems awesome, it probably is awesome. So like, do it. I don't know. Like, try it. What's the worst that can happen? You fail. Like, so what? Like, that's how some of the best lessons are learned, you know? And that's, I, I looking back on the last couple of years, there are times that I'm like, what am I doing with this business? Like, what am I, this is expensive. This is crazy. And then there's other times that I'm like, I wouldn't give this up for anything, you know? So I think, you know, kind of like we were just saying, take, you know, take your ego out of it for a minute and learn something new. Try it. What's the worst that, you know, the best thing that can happen is you got to try something new that you would have never tried before. Yeah. And there's definitely, I mean, I, of course there's pros and cons for each side of this, but like, you know, sometimes having a plan does more harm than good. I agree. I think you have to kind of have an, uh, an we'll call it an outline. An outline. Ooh, that's a good word. You can need an outline, but you don't necessarily need all of the underneath, you know, sub bullets in that outline. I think you can, you can kind of take like the big picture, take the big picture and, and kind of start from there. And, and certainly there's, there are going to be people who hear this and say, she's nuts. That's not a great way to do it. And I'm sure that, that there, you have a better plan. And if that's how you operate, go for it. But in my experience, when you take too much time trying to make it perfect, you miss out on the opportunity to try it at all. And I think you really need to just kind of get yourself out there and see what you can make. Well, sometimes the organicness of whatever it is you're making or trying to build is lost when you put too much, like you said, overthinking into it. It's like, then it becomes this thing that's like, it feels forced. And like, I've I've brought this so much anxiety to it. Yeah, right, right. I've brought this up on the show a couple of times before. It's like the authenticity is is lost almost when you put too much into it and like whether or not people you know your fans your audience uh friends family whoever it is you're trying to reach with whatever your project is sometimes you know even if they can't express it they are able to notice something that feels forced like that 
right? And I feel that. Absolutely. I think you can, you know, there, there's been times with doing stuff, you know, different kinds of events for the, for the studio that, you know, I have to say out loud in front of other adults, like, do I need to use my teacher voice? And then like, I feel <laughs> like I just sucked the fun out of this thing, but you know, um, I don't know. I think that that feeling of trying to make it exactly perfect really does like suck the fun out of it, you yeah. know, just go with it, go for it. I feel like too, like, you know, and again, this is teacher life, but you, you write lesson plans and like, you know, every district is different and every supervisor is different, but you know, I've worked for people who they want everything outlined, like every little detail of what you're going to do in that lesson, like from the objectives to the standards, what questions you're going to, what ask. questions you're going to ask scripts of how you're going to ask them and stuff. And then I've on the flip side, I've worked for teachers that like, don't, they don't need all that stuff. They just give me the basic outline, right? Like what you're going to do. And you know, when you're teaching something, you, when you're in the moment, sometimes you, you recognize that and you're like, well, I, I definitely overplan. Like I don't need to do X, Y, and Z because the kids already picked up on, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. From the first round kind of thing. Um, but I think that goes beyond teacher life, right? Like I'm just using that as an example because yeah. that's who we are, but you know, people pick up on those things and it's like, you can, like you said, suck the fun out of something by putting too much into it. Right? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it can just be simple and I don't know. Another like thing that sticks out to me in that same light is that like, let's say you've never really painted before, but like today you're going to, you know, test it out. It doesn't have to be a masterpiece. No, it can be, it could just be a painting. And that's like, that's the cool part. Like there's lots of pieces of paper in this house that I doodled on. I tested something out and I was like, man, I hate that. I'm going to save that. So I can use the back of that for another dumb idea <laughs> one day. We're finding a lot of those in the move, but you know, <laughs> I think that that piece is so crucial to like attempting to create because if you are so focused on it being perfect, you'll never attempt to create something. You know, you'll just keep going back and trying to fix this one thing until it's perfect when you could have been, I don't know, playing around with some other ideas and found something that you liked better in that process. And yeah, I think that's, there's the a really good uh, podcast. It's called make something awful. And the whole premise is he interviews, uh, they well they there's a couple guys they interview creatives and artists and things like that where um the whole point is trying to grow right so like the first time you ever paint a painting it's going to suck yeah right? the first time you ever write a short story it's going to suck and hey, that's listen, okay and that's okay but and uh, that's not to say that sometimes the first time you paint something it's awesome right because like that happens opposite. too but like to always expect that going into something I think is just so inherently negative not, and not like in a way that's like, oh, I'm not good at this. It's it's setting yourself up to feel negative when it's all said and done as opposed to going into it like, well, whatever comes out of this, it's going to be something right. that might be a good something and it might be something, you know, bad something, but like, it's all right. It's it's It gives you an opportunity to test it out. And then the next time you go back and either re try to recreate that same idea or say, well, that's not for me at all. I'm going to oh, go yeah, a different scrap direction, it, scrap it, because that's okay too. You know, we all, you know, I think as people, like we're so, we get so stuck on like, I'm already this far invested. Right. <laughs> I already got this far and so now I have to finish it. Like, nope, not really. Not if you don't want to. You, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you should just kind of go with your gut. Go with the flow a little bit more. It's, it's, 
if it keeps coming back, then it's probably important. Yeah. If, if your mind loses it, then it probably wasn't important. I don't know. Especially like you said, when we were going through some of these things I've painted now that we're moving and clean them out. I'm like, why, why was this like, <laughs> why so, did I even say this? <laughs> why did I save this? It's awful. And then there's other times that I'm like, Ooh, I remember starting that and thinking I would come back to it. Maybe I will try that again. And then there's other things that I, I saw them and I didn't like them or at the time I thought I liked them. And then now I'm cutting them up and using them as like mask, you know, templates <laughs> instead, <laughs> you know, I think the old sheets, those are, those are pretty cool. Um, the other day I found a painting that I did that I literally cut up and used as a stencil to trace out on the sheets to cut out to make masks with. Because I was like, well, I don't like this circles. I don't know what I was doing with it. I hate circles as it is. I, mean, <laughs> I, don't know. I always think of, uh, you know, that practice with intent, right? So like if you want some, if you want to be good at one specific thing, like you have to intentfully practice and not just, you know, go with the flow in that arena, right? Which is, that's different. It's a different you know, it's the other side of that coin, right? Like you have Mal uh, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour. Well, I don't think it's his. He mentioned in his book, Outliers. Is it his? I don't know. Anyway, the point is like, if you want to be, you know, a if you want to master a skill, you have to spend a minimum of 10,000 hours doing that thing. But, you know, that's like, if you're trying to do one specific thing and you're trying to make it your thing, right? right? But if it's something that you're not interested in, Right? It's okay and, to let it go. Right. And you're just experimenting like, it's okay to let go. It's okay to make something awful and say, this sucks. I don't want to do it anymore and take a step back. I agree. So, I, agree. I don't know. I feel like uh, the creative life is a very much a life of experimentation and people, you know, will call other people's work masterpieces when the artist might themselves say, this is garbage. I, hate I, this. I can't believe people think this is awesome. Right. I agree. So, it's all a matter of perspective, you know? Uh, that's a great way to look at it. All a matter of perspective. All right, my lovely wife, Miss Allison Binger. It's so weird calling you by my last name. <laughs> it's only been my last name for three years now, so. It's still weird. Uh, where can listeners find you online? Where can they reach out? Where can they inquire about any project ideas or anything like that they might have? Um, I'm on Instagram at DIY Paradise Inc. NJ. Uh, my email, which is a great way to reach out to me if you have a project idea, info at DIYparadise.org. And always available, um, looking at my website, seeing some of the things I've done, uh, DIYparadise.org as well. All right. Thanks for coming on my show. Thanks for having me on your show. It was weird interviewing you like this. <laughs> there was a little while it got less weird. Yeah, I feel like we were like having an actual conversation. Yeah. I kind of forgot the microphone was there until you just reminded me. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of awkward. All right. Um, I love you. I Thank love you. Too. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you after I turn this off. Okay. All right. Bye, friends. Well, that's it, friends. Thanks for tuning in. I hope to swing through again. If you'd like to reach out, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at medium.com slash betterism. Be better at whatever it is you're building. And remember, friends, stay learning. <laughs>